Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of PogRx. I am your host, GamerDoc. Pumped, we're here, we're in double digits. Super awkward last week, I recorded that we were in double digits, but we were only on episode nine. So now it's official. I had to check my notes before I said that, but it is official. We are now in the double digits of this show. So if you have been tuning in since the beginning, thank you. If this is your first show, welcome. Make sure you go back and listen from the beginning because there are some really excellent tips. It's it's amazing that it's been 10 episodes and my list of topics is still huge. It's still huge. I mean, this space is just so untouched right now. There are so many components of performance, of health, of training that not only is no one talking about, but we haven't even thought about yet. And so I just want you to think, if you're at home right now listening, if you've been entertained, Think about the stuff you do in other aspects of your life that require you to be good at your job, right? Require you to be good. So if you have a full-time job that's not in esports, what do you do to be good at that job, right? You make connections, you network, you get a good night's sleep beforehand, you eat breakfast so you don't get hangry, or you don't eat breakfast and you do get hangry. There's all these Things you put into doing what good, doing a good job, that all of a sudden we switch to esports and we forget that it happens, right? We, f- we switch to esports and we're like, ah, I don't need to sleep. Why would that f- affect any anything I'm, I'm doing? And the reason why I want you to think about this is not so I get more buy-in from you, but also because we need people thinking about those things because I don't, like, I talk to these guests we have on, and I have never even thought of this stuff before, right? Like, even if you're in the space, you don't know everything. We won't know anything for a very, very, very long time. So people at home, people listening, people like you are the ones who are pushing the field. Because if you have a question, let's find the answers. DM me or figure it on your own. Let's do it. Gamerdoc, Twitter, underscore at the end. And I I think that's also important because that's where we get a lot of our ideas in the beginning in in a space that doesn't have a lot of data and information. So it's like, okay, how are you going to get better at video gaming? Well, as a doctor, I look at the papers, I look at the data, and there just really isn't anything out there, especially in the beginning, there wasn't anything out there. So we have to look at similar populations. And one of the things I love to look at is hand-eye coordination. I love to look at hand-eye coordination because it is something that is so cool to think about. You know, I, th- I think I've talked about this in the show before, but watching what Braden Holtby did before in between in between plays, right? Uh, he's a goaltender. He used to be for the Capitals. Uh, or watching what, you know, Formula One drivers do to warm up their hand-eye coordination, their reaction time. And when I say hand-eye coordination, I mean how well your brain is communicating with your hands and telling it where to be in space, right? Someone chucks a ball at you as fast as they can. Your, you have, your brain is not consciously reacting, right? Consciously, you're not saying, oh my God, that's going to hurt. Let me put my hand up and grab it, right? Your brain is just reacting. Your hand is reacting. It's moving through space independently of what you are consciously thinking and it catches the ball. Or you get hit in the face and then you're like, oh crap, I should have trained reaction time. Like GamerDoc said, this is super awkward. Now I have a black eye. But training hand-eye coordination is something that you we can all do. We can all do it at home. And it's cool. Like hand-eye coordination is one of those things like if you can do the splits or if you can sing. It, it seems like a task that seems really niche. 
But then you're at a party and you've had a couple beers and someone's like, can you do the splits? And you're like, hold my beer. Or you go to karaoke and you get to whip out your amazing vocals. That's what hand-eye coordination is too, right? Like whenever someone drops something and someone else catches it, right? Like with the Mr. and Mrs. Smith, anyone remember that? It's cool, right? Like you want to be good at hand-eye coordination for a lot of reasons. But you know, get better at gaming. There's one of them. But, you know, training hand-eye coordination outside of gaming is cool. There's lots of really good Instagram videos. They're called hand-eye coordination coaches or just Google drills. I mean, I'm not going to go through the explanation of things you can do here. We can do that in a future um, PogRx, but but you know, look them up. Figure it out. Another one that we can do is if you want to perform an activity that's physical, you want to strengthen those muscles, right? You want to strengthen those muscles. And there's, there's difference in types of strength that you need to perform activities. So there's, there's muscles that need to respond quickly. Those burn out really easily, right? If you want to respond quickly, your fast twitch muscles, those can burn out really quickly. And so you want to strengthen those muscles and get more endurance in those muscles and make energy stores available to them more readily, right? So if you're, if you're trying to slam W key down 4,000 times in an hour, you want those muscles to react quickly, but you also want them to react quickly for longer periods of time. So strengthening your hand muscles for gaming is really important. And, you know, I, I'm all about having fun. It's really hard. I, the the long-standing joke with all my friends is that I said I could be an Olympic athlete if I had would have just practiced. But that's the thing, right? Like, I don't, I get bored easily. I get bored easily. And, and strength training was never really something that interested me because yes, having muscles is fun, but I can't go to the gym and lift for an hour. I just can't. I think it's boring. If you can do that, I love you. Good on you. You're amazing. You're better than me. But I have more muscles than I've ever had in my entire life right now because I've discovered rock climbing. Rock climbing is strength training for people with ADHD. I swear to God. Rock climbing is amazing. If you are a gamer or you are involved or you want to get big muscles and you can't strength train, I highly, 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 highly encourage you to start rock climbing because it is so fun. It's so fun and it's such a good workout. Like for me, if I'm strength training and I'm supposed to do a set of three of eight reps each time, by the time I get to set three, I'm probably doing four reps, right? Set two might have been six reps. With rock climbing, you can't do that because you're halfway up the wall, you're like 15 feet in the air, and you're terrified of falling. And even if your muscles are starting to give out, you're not going to let go because you're terrified of falling, right? And that's just a fun little concept that makes you train harder. Um, so if you are looking to get better at video gaming, I highly recommend you start rock climbing. You got to start slow. You got to take, make sure, you know, talk to your doctor, go get screened for any injuries because you don't want to flare any injuries up. Like I flared up a middle finger injury and I'm not going to show you which finger it is, but it, I, I just check it out. Try it out. Have some fun. Um, also, a, a former client of mine sent over a video on hand walking, which I think is really interesting. It's this dude who's walking a minute a day and adding a minute a day of walking on his hands. Now, our hands are not meant to be weight-bearing joints. They're not, right? We're, we're, we never were walking on, in the history of, of humanity, what makes us human is that we don't walk on our hands anymore. And we have opposable thumbs. So I don't recommend walking on your hands for really long periods of time. But if you're doing it gently, it is a good way to strengthen your hands. I've been doing it occasionally. Make sure you're warmed up beforehand. Um, don't put all your weight on it. Don't do anything stupid. But I think that's also a cool way to strengthen your hands. 
Um, and then, you know, core strengthening and flexibility, those are things that you can work on that will make you better at gaming. And there's no data that says that, so don't you show up in my Twitter messages being like, you said core strengthening is going to make you better at esports. Of course, of course there's no studies on that. There's no studies on anything. Don't come at me with that. I'm a scientist. But what I can tell you is that there's studies on what happens to baseball pitchers as they throw pitches. Right? So you throw 20 pitches and you're using your muscles of your hand, your elbow, your shoulder, right? You're throwing pitches. As your pitch count goes up, you rely more on core stability and leg strength to keep that pitch accurate. And the more core strengthening they have, the more accurate their throws are going to be. Am I saying that moving your mouse is the same stress on your joints as a baseball pitch? Absolutely not. But when it's hour eight of your solo queue time and your arm's starting to get fatigued, you might not notice it, right? It's not like your shoulder is hurting. Sometimes my shoulder does hurt when I'm doing aim training. But it's not like your shoulder is killing you and you're feeling fatigue. But you're starting to rely more on those proximal muscles like your shoulders and your stomach and your legs and your back to maintain your accuracy because those little muscles of your hand and your wrist, because you haven't been strength training, are starting to get tired. Starting to get tired. And so you're starting to rely on other muscles that aren't trained in aim. So if you want to be able to play better for longer, right, you want to keep playing Fortnite until 4 in the morning when your partner's out of town, I see you, come hang out with me. You've got to train your core and your back and your legs, right? Just go to the gym, go rock climbing. That, that's all I got for this intro. We have a really exciting guest today, so I want to get to her very quickly. Uh, but before we do that, speaking of rock climbing, you don't need to go rock climbing to get the strength and flexibility that uh, you want. All you got to do is find a place to hang. So here it is, our first PogRx of the show, episode 10. Here it is. Strength and flexibility go hand in hand in any activity, and that includes esports. To work on both of those, what you're going to want to do is find a bar and a place to hang from. Firmly grab the bar and place your feet flat on the floor. Slowly transfer your weight from your feet to your hands, allowing your body to hang. You should start to feel this in your hands, forearms, and a stretch all along the back. If this is foreign to you, you're going to want to start really slowly and only do this very briefly. Strength and durability in the hands and forearms is going to lead to improved performance and decreased injuries down the road. All right, y'all, you want to get better at gaming and want to be healthier? Hang loose. Hang loose. With all of these stretches and exercises, you want to talk to your doctor before you start them. You know, if you are, you have a smoldering ECU tendonitis and you're starting to hang from poles for two hours a day, it's not going to be good for you. You're probably going to get injured. Everything, whenever anyone talks to you about a strength and exercising program, you want to start very slowly and you want to stop if you ever have any pain, right? There's a difference between pain from like working out muscles, right? If you've ever done a sprint and you feel the burn in your legs, that's a different type of pain than if you are running without warming up and you feel a snap in your hamstring, right? There's a difference between those two types of pain. We can talk more about that in the future. But that is it. That's your PogRx. This is not medical advice. Uh, let's get to it. Let's get to the guest. So our guest is Zyrith. So Zyrith is an esports behavioral analyst and performance coach. That is not all. Um, they own MindFlex Coaching. She's worked with League of Legends Tolerant, Valorant Tolerant, FIFA, CSGO, uh, has worked with Fnatic, TSM, and now is with CLG. Also, a really interesting facet of this person is they work with poker players, which is so interesting. I mean, if you think about 
the purses that is associated with, I'm not talking about like Louis Vuitton, I'm talking about the amount of money. It makes sense that they have these coaches. Uh, and it's funny that it, they have these before esports, really. So I think that's really cool. I'm excited to talk to her about it. So um, let's welcome our guest to the show. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Zyreth, welcome to the show. As I said in your intro, you are a performance coach over at CLG and a behavior analyst. So question, how do those two things make players better <laughs> okay uh thanks for having me first yeah. of all well, it's been my thing from the very very like beginning when i was even like a teenager you know going into high school like i had the thing for recognizing things in people and i was the type of a person that people were always talking to they were always happy to kind of you know ask me what would you do what would you do here and here and i was always the type of person that people were just naturally coming into so it's like, you know, I started my career in a business, but then, you know, that competitive spark was always missing. And I started looking at esports with the first League of Legends tournaments and so on. And then I was like, okay, is my work, it's my theory, is my actually, you know, my natural instinct applicable there? And then with the first project, it turns out it's actually very applicable. So helping the players from all the soft skills that the team should be able to uh, bringing into the table on the high competitive level this is all I can do so everything in terms of building a trust building relationship uh, improving communication preventing burnt out and so on and so forth I always tell my players that 
you play with your body, but you win with your head. So if your head is not right, then you will not be able to reach the peak performance. And this is like my my always like like you know like my motto of my work. So if you're not stable, if your head is not stable, it's really difficult to be competitive over the years because that's the that's the key. And performance coaching is actually prevention. So if I can analyze the player and I can prevent things from happening, so prevent conflicts, prevent burnout, pre- prevent uh, communication mistakes, like this is the good the good start. Unfortunately, lots of organizations nowadays treat performance coaching as a, you know, tape on the wound. When, you know, when the body's beating, we just need to tape it out. Well, things can be prevented. So, you know, that's why it's like super important to get to understand what is performance coaching and how to apply it um, in the esports environment. Yeah. And I I think you're completely right. We, We see coaches and we see teams bringing in professionals after they've already had a problem instead of like looking around in the space realizing this is the trend this is the future and having people come in before the problems happen so I want to touch it back on something you said because you're not the first person on this podcast to, to mention soft skills but we've never really specifically talked it out before because it's funny that the things you're mentioning are like soft skills and it, it makes it sound like they're less important but like what you just said they're way more important but can you just explain the difference between hard skills and soft skills for everybody at home who might know that are the difference mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean typical coaches bring to the team all stuff about macro games about individual in-game skills so like how to perfection how to be perfect at the champion at the rotation at a specific composition and so on and so forth but but people don't consider things as soft skills so which is like communication mm-hmm. it's like awareness preparation it's also you know understanding uh, how the team operates, the motivation, uh, what else? Like, um, you know, uh, self-awareness in terms of being um, confident, in, in terms of being prepared. Like, these are all the little aspects that you can master outside of the game. Uh, and awareness is a big, a big thing in here because if you know how to master them, then they will be like your natural instinct when you that you can apply along with the strategies, along with the macros that the coaches are giving you. So soft skills is like all the skills that are outside of the pure in-game knowledge that I can bring into the team. Um, and coming from the business setting, like there are many performance coaches uh, in the esport world, but all tend to specialize in specific things so there are those that specific on the uh on the on the sport issue on the sport issues on like uh, typical mental issues uh, i specialize in the team building aspect and how to make teams perform better because um i've been a manager for like seven years in a big uh, corporation where i had more than 30, 30 employees under me so i've been recruiting training developing them and that was a work under a really big big uh, pressure and in a stressful environment and this is the same that is applicable into eSport. So some of the theories that are um, you know applicable in sport and in business about team building, about um, building trust, uh, accountability, uh, solving conflicts and so on and so forth. This is all like a big knowledge that is applicable through all the disciplines, whether that's a business, sport or eSport. Uh, but the thing is that you just need to have that understanding what is eSport and what the team needs in a specific moment and just, you know, apply it right away when you feel that, hey, something is not right in here. 
I, I think that the team building aspect is is so overlooked in so many areas of esports, and I, I love that that's your focus. You actually wrote an article on how to be a good teammate, which I read and I love. And it's funny because oh. when people think about, you know, teammates, they're like, oh, how am I going to be a good teammate? They're like, oh, I got to play well. I wanna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play really well. I'm going to be a great teammate. But if I look back on the best teammates I've ever had in my life, none of them were the best players, right? They all had other qualities. So so how do you be a good teammate? Well, the thing is that the more you understand that it's impossible to win a five players game individually. Like if you realize that that even though you're a very skilled person, but your communication fail, people don't trust you, you're a bad leader and you're not mm-hmm. looking after your teammates, you're not capable of sacrificing your own good for the greater good of the team, the team will go nowhere. So these are the things that, especially with young um, esport athletes that just start the career, they just don't understand that aspect. They still think that, hey, I can carry my team on my, uh, on, on my own back, but then you can carry the team to a specific, let's say, position. But when you meet teams that are actually five of the players are carrying each other, holding each other's hand, and they are like one buddy, so one player is saying the sentence, the other is like finishing it. They have the same hype, the same understanding, same goals. This is like super important. Like you can't match them and you can't, you know, solo carry. You know, the big destructive power of a team is having internal goals inside of the team. It's very often happening that, um, let's say, you join an organization and you, you treat that organization as a trampoline or as a ladder to promote yourself and to be better visible, and then maybe better organization will pick you up. Actually, this is a very, very, very bad understanding. Yeah. And usually when you try to find your individual goal inside of the team goal, it's, it's so visible that the player is usually detached from the team. So there are like little groups. So there's like one player, two players, and then two players. Or there's the one player and four players, and they never get along. And if they don't get along, the, the individual goal will not be achieved, so you will look bad, you know, and no other organization will be able to pick you up because you're not a team player. So I love the trend that right now when teams are building, um, you know, teams, they're looking into this team aspect and just, you know, clicking on this, clicking a lot together. I've been recruiting to many esport teams and my thing is that I always look into this uh, dynamic environment where you have a person that is pretty serious, when you have a person that is very vocal, when you have a a prankster like a person that is able to unload the pressure when it's needed and also it's good to have a very calculated person in the team so they all kind of you know complement each other and they build like you know one big advantage instead of just pulling their own weight yeah and that's a huge issue when when team dynamics aren't you know fluctuating. you're not going to win it doesn't matter how highly skilled you are i think a lot of that comes from especially in north america we don't have a clearly defined path to pro right if you want to be a pro league player you know you're solo queuing for most of your life and you know you're getting on teams you're you're not you don't have that you know, dynamic like you would in football or soccer where you're playing on a team since you're a little kid. And so you have someone who shows up and they're really good at the game. And, you know, they're an ADC, they get 25 kills, but you still lose. And they're like, they're blaming the jungler. They're blaming the top laner. They're blaming somebody else. But it's like, dude, you still lost. Like, it doesn't matter how many kills you get. If you still lost, like the accountability 
isn't there. So how do you take a player like that, right? A player who's who has his individual goal, because this is what you're doing, right? You're taking these players who are problematic and you're making them teammates. How do you like because if I'm if I'm on a team or I'm a coach and I have a player like that, it doesn't matter how good of a teammate I am if that guy's a trash teammate. So how do you how do you take that personality and make it productive? I mean, first of all, I focus a lot on the self-talk. So what kind of self-talk the players are having. If the self-talk is like very negative and what you said, it's like constantly blaming my team was not good enough. Uh, my team was worse. My, you know, I'm not skilled enough or they were not skilled enough. And because of that, we lost. So if the person is not looking into himself, then obviously I'm explaining the self-talk and the whole process about it because the negative self-talk, it starts the cycle of failure. And once the team goes into the cycle of failure, there is no way back. So I'm trying to teach them the positive self-talk. So even though you lost, what was the value out of it? And then with the solo queue players, I'm always telling them, like, you know, it's impossible for the solo queue players to bring a goal of winning into the solo queue. And when they put the pressure on themselves and they put the goal, hey, I need to win the next five games, this is a goal that is not achievable because you have only 20% of impact on your goal. Would you put, I don't know, a thousand of US dollars when you have only 20% of winning it? Probably not. So, you know, um, so it's the same. And then there's like frustration, then there's a lot of negativity because they don't understand where is that coming from. So I try to explain them that the goal you can put on yourself is to uh, stuff that you can control. So what can you control? Can you control, let's say, your jungle rotation? Can you control your cooperation with middle, top lane? And then, you know, they slowly try to understand that, you know, there are other statistics they can put into the goals. And while improving them, they'll be improving the value of the team. And as a result, the team will just move forward. And then with time, it's just like, like, you know, they're coming back to me. It's like, hey, you know, it works. And I was like, what works? I'm aware that I can't carry my whole team on my own back. And I was like, okay, good to know. So sometimes it's all about how you show the player how destructive he is himself. And then the negative self-talk is, you know, being changed into the positive self-talk. And they see like, okay, we lost. But they were struggling because I was good at this, this, this and that. And then when you reinforce the strengths instead of just improving the weaknesses, which is the thing I, I hate, when I hear it from the coaches, when they're saying like, "How oh, guys, we let's improve about your weaknesses. Well, you can't because it's my weakness, so you just can't improve it, right? <laughs> so when, when they have those wrong goals and then they all of a sudden switch on the strengths and then they're focusing on, you know, how to improve them, how to be a good teammate, all of a sudden things start clicking quickly. And this is how you push the team and how you push individuals. So if you push all five of them the same direction, and give them this, uh, I don't like the saying, like the carrot on the stick, like, hey, this is the goal that you can achieve as five. And it's just like, you know, all five of them looking at the carrot and they just go and get it, basically. So accountability and understanding how destructive the in- inner voice can be, I think it's like one of the key aspects. Totally. Completely. Uh, my, my college basketball coach used to say, control the controllables, which is, yeah. it's like control the things you can't control. And I never really thought about that before, like, you know, thinking about when the emphasis on winning and solo queuing, it's like, yeah, I mean, what are you going to, you're not going to win. You're not going to win the game, it, you know, or, or you, you might, but it's not up to you and it's not, it's not in your control. You can go 40 and 0 and it doesn't matter if, you're, if your top planner isn't, isn't in charge. Yeah. 
Um, so Fun fact is that uh, the players tend to time travel a lot in games. So the time traveling aspect is like so important because they either travel to the past, like, oh, I've been losing because of this, or they already think about winning, but they never focus in the now. It's like the same as in sport, you know, when you have an athlete that is focusing in the now, enjoying what they're doing, embracing the time themselves, like the activity itself, it's super important. But when you have a player that is constantly thinking, hey, I can't catch up, he's better or she's better or they have better team or they're this, you're constantly thinking. And yeah. when you think, you can't multitask, you can't you can't let it go. You just you just tense yourself, you muscle, and when you muscle things, they just break. That's it. Yeah. That, I mean that's that that flow state that everyone's trying to get in. You know, I was I was rock climbing the first time today in two weeks and there's a point when you're just on the wall and you're not thinking about the next hole, you're just thinking about what you're doing and once you reach that state of just being in the moment, everything kind of falls into place, right? Everything feels really good and that's I love I love that you're talking about focus on the now. Focus on the now. Yeah. And Every team is having that, that, you know, you saw so many teams being in CSGO like 15-2 and then all of a sudden they lose the next, you know, 14 games. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they already focus on the future, so on the winning. And then they just can't go with it. They just can't force it. And that's the moment when they are totally blocked and they just can't move on. Yeah, totally. So I, I love everything you're saying. Um, and I, I was, you know, checking out your website before you were here and how you approach other aspects of coaching is broken down. I'm just going to read it. It's um, you're like, what's on my website? Um, recognition, <laughs> diagnosing, designing, implementing and evaluating. And I love this because this is pretty ubiquitous for all other areas of life, whether it's, you know, injury prevention or or performance. If you're going to design a solution, it has to be to an actual problem that exists. And then after you design that solution, you have to make sure it works. Right. Um, yeah. So the first step recognition I really want to focus on because, you know, in, in esports performance in the world of esports, we're still kind of new, right? We're, we're in our infancy. And for a lot of coaches, and when you were in business, people were like, yeah, we have to be an efficient team to make money. But in esports, sometimes it's hard for either, especially the underfunded teams to be like, oh, I need a coach. Like, because they don't realize that they have issues, right? They don't recognize the fact that issues exist. So um, what are some of the most costly and common issues that you recognize from your perspective when you look at teams and players? First, that is, that, that is coming to my mind as like the most common one is that lack of respect towards the coach, like from the team. Like this is the most common one. And it's usually because coaches, when they start work, um, and they have experienced players inside of the team, they're not strong enough to set them boundaries. And usually the experienced players, they always have that tendency to kind of be, let's say, managing the team in their own benefit. And when the coach is not strong enough to say, hey, no, because this is destructive for the team environment, usually the conflict starts. And, you know, the coach is trying to say, hey, you know, maybe this, sometimes being firm and, you know, Having this first meeting when you have as a coach with a team is like super important. If you don't put a good perception of yourself, like being strong and being precise and showing them what you want and how you want to achieve them, then the team will just manage you. And very often in teams, when the coaches are young or they are just kind of growing, they're not presenting that. And obviously, if you're stronger as a person, as a player, more experienced, what would you do? You take over. And sometimes you just don't see the different perspectives. So this is like the biggest, um, one of the most common um, let's say recognition. The other one would be lack of trust. Um, 
and teams are different personalities. And sometimes, like very often, there are like two types of leaders in time in, in the team. One is the appointed leader that like we have the most experienced person in the team, so we need to make him a leader, which is obviously the most um, okay, the worst thing that you can do in the team because you should wait and check who is the natural leader in your team. So sometimes there is a conflict between the appointed leader and the natural one. So mm. each time the natural leader is coming out and is trying to do good, but the appointed leader is being threatened, right? So what happens is that they kind of break the team usually and they all have their favorites inside of the team. So you have groups inside of the team and usually you have the person that is leaning both ways but they don't know which side to pick so I would rather be like you know away from the conflict and the lack of trust and lack of having a goal and lack of having let's say unified vision of the team is causing um, a lot of conflict that are trust oriented um, and that is also super super important to look at when you compose a team that sometimes we rush with picking up a leader Whereas when we start working, we should give the team two, three weeks together, and then we should see who should be the leader, who has the skill, right? We should get to know to the players. There are five different units, and if all of a sudden you make a wrong pick, then from the start, your team will st will basically will not be ready to face the challenges that are ahead because there will be conflict already. So as you see, performance coaching, prevention, straight away. Yeah, it's not how you how you build the team, but how, how you let the team grow. And this is like the process of uh, naturalizing the team and making it pick the wrong way, right? Yeah. So this is the second thing. And the third one, uh, the third one is like, um, it's about the expectations that are being set from the organization, I think. Very often the organization is, let's say, um, buying, let's say, not so experienced players. And not so expensive as well, because sometimes, very often, the um, the price goes with the experience. Mm -hmm. But then they put on the team a uh, goal in terms of guys, we are here, um, and let's say you have you know five, maybe four young players and one experienced one, and then the the the, the owner is coming and like, guys, okay, we are here, so I want you to be like top top three team in uh, in Europe or in uh, in America. And the team is like, oh yeah, sure, sure, let's go. And then the first two games are coming in and they're losing. So already the expectations are being like, you know, are being such a big burden for the players that instead of just following the positive cycle and getting into this positive self-talk, they already start thinking about being negative. Oh, we're not good enough. Other teams are better than us. And they just fall into the negative cycle, which is usually ending up with like, I don't know, like 15-0 or 0-15 or something like that, because they just can't get out of that drop themselves. Yeah. And that pressure is so heavy that they just give up in the middle of a season and that's it. Yeah. So, that's... so yeah, I would say like these are top three. I love those. I love those so much. Um, so you also, you know, you're, you're a god at league. You're good at Valorant. You have this whole rich coaching experience, business experience. But you also work with poker players, which is so interesting to me. So yeah. what kind of things do you learn or have you learned from your poker players that you've maybe been able to apply to esports, uh, poker is like it's like totally uh, different environment yeah. than esports because totally. poker players usually they're like around thirty or thirty plus and they're like more mature. Yeah. So sometimes with the esports environment, you literally need to fight 
so the players apply what you tell them, especially with the young players that are 18 to 20. Mm -hmm. But in poker, when they are coming to you, they already have the issues, let's say, in one place, and you just need to kind of, you know, uh, find the solutions into them. So what I, what I have learned is that, um, like, even though we think that uh, an issue, like it's a poker player that is, let's say, facing burnout, Okay. Uh -huh. So we think like, oh, probably he's playing too much. So the reason could be the same. But all in all, even if the, let's say, the uh, the problem seems to be the same, maybe the reason is not always the same. So what I've learned from poker players is that sometimes assumption that this is the reason uh, is, not, is not a good approach. Mm -hmm. Like I've learned to be more patient and dig so much deep. So I get into the route that I'm like 100% convinced that this is this is why. Uh -huh. Because sometimes I tend to assume that, hey, you know, when somebody was calling me, it's like, hey, you know, we need your expertise. My team is this and that. What do you think it is? And I was like, I think it could be burnout or I think it could be this. But then I've never been digging, okay, who was the reason of burning out yeah. and why it happened? Yeah. So sometimes just taking a little bit step back and just like being more patient with the... Um, with the whole like reasoning mm -hmm. is right now. So my my thing is like a little bit more patience, a little bit more. I love that. So you work with you work with poker players in their thirties and esports athletes in their late teens, early twenties. For which population is burnout worse? I think it's it's worse for the for the young. Uh, for the young, for the teens, because uh, you can reason with a person that is around 30 and they will listen and they will be already desperate to get help. So they are open to apply it. But when you work with a, like, let's say, young star wannabe, you just can't explain them that the skill is not all everything you need, yeah. that you also need to kind of get hungry for the game and you won't be hungry if you'll be playing it too much. So this is like very hard to reason it and very often... Um, I, actually, I heard it from the player myself once because he, when he started a career and I was saying like, hey, you need to stop playing that much. You need to just kind of look at other things that will give you dopamine, will give you fun yes. and so on. And then they're like, no, I'm not going to do it. So he was treating me as first as a, like, like as an enemy. Yeah. Like, I'm the one that is stopping him from playing the game. But after a year, he actually wrote to me that, hey, you know, I, I've I've went through what you said, um, and actually I I was such a burn I I got such such a like I I went to like the whole burnout and all like you were so right about it <laughs> and actually that information was like of course I was You're like of course but I'm then, right yeah but then you know it's all about how you understand so I'm super happy that this person kind of figured out that but mm -hmm. the issue was that it was already too late because. Uh, he already had this label in his environment that yeah. um, he's not motivated, not putting enough effort, and so on. So he ended up in the like lower leagues right now, and it's hard for him to get back. Yeah. But sometimes you have this one shot that you need to take, and if you don't listen to people that, let's say, know your job, then yeah, it's like you're crossing your own career out, basically. That's such a hard concept to explain to players, especially when they're 18, 19 years old, that like you need to play your game less. And they're like, what do you mean less? But it's like, you need to play it less and more efficiently to not yeah. burn out because it doesn't matter if you go as hard as you can for like a year, when you get to be 20 years old and you hate what you do, you're not gonna play as well. And I, I love the new paper mm -hmm. that came out by Wayne, Dr. Wayne Mackey and the people at, at State Space that showed, you know, 
30 minutes of aim training is good enough. And everyone's like, what do you yeah. mean? And, but their performance starts to decrease. So we have these players yeah. who are practicing with their teams and they're go home, going home and solo queuing for four, five, six hours. And that's not the most beneficial, beneficial way. So I, the, the burnout in these kids is just is, is so bad. And I think that's another that's a huge issue. So I love that you brought that up. It is. It is. And, and I feel that... Um... A lot of blame for that burnout goes to coaches that are not experienced and that don't know how to manage the young players because they feel that, hey, you know, um, they have like, I don't know, four, six, like six, seven hours training. And then they go, it's like, okay, I want you to go solo queue for two, three more hours and I want you to practice this champion. And I'm like, why are you doing it to him? Like, he's already had like eight hours of work you want him to work even harder it's like you know and especially this is happening at the very beginning of a season so the yeah. teams are firing up and you probably notice the trend the trend that usually the hard-working teams at the very beginning of a the season they're always having results but then with time mm -hmm. in the middle of a the season they're all dropping because they're overworked and the spark is no longer there the chemistry is no longer there and they're just fed up with you know uh, things that are coming and the one loss is enough to get them get them off the track and yeah, yeah that's it that is why 60 percent or even 65 percent of my work usually in teams is working with coaches and sometimes it's like 30 35 percent is enough to work with the players just to show them the direction and if the coach is let's say responsible enough they'll just know how to apply and how to how to show them the direction they should be in and in here it's like sometimes easy as that I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, my final question of the podcast is the same thing I ask everyone. Um, so the name of our show is is Pog Prescription uh, because I have a weird sense of humor. And it's, you know, the, the, the things that you can do that if you were to write down a prescription, you know, this isn't medical advice, what would it be to make people better? So I want you to give us one thing, it can only be one thing, that people can implement today to be better at gaming tomorrow. Control your dopamine. Okay. That we might think. Yeah. Okay. Can you yeah. can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, I mean dopamine is like the so-called um, hormone of happiness, but it's yeah. not a hormone hormone, of course. Uh, but it's like you know, the more you do stuff uh, and the more repetitively you do them, the less dopamine your body produces. So if you kind of get the dopamine from other sources than your regular job, so it's like, I don't know, hiking, uh, climbing, uh, biking, playing basketball with friends, whatever, the more hungry for doing your regular job are you are. And then mm -hmm. basically, if you have all those issues, then you just can't wait to get back to to get the job yeah. uh, and just start doing it. But if you don't do it and you only sit in front of the computer for 12, 13, 14 hours a day, the amount of dopamine your body will be releasing while doing the job will be low. So mm. with time, you will see a lot of stuff like um, uh, lower lower motivation, lack of focus, because low level of dopamine, this is all like causing like low motivation, lack of focus, sometimes pre-depressive stages as well, uh, communication gaps. It's also um, taking away from you all the relationships that you have, and re relationships are super dopamine boosters. Mm -hmm. So when people are telling you stuff, hey, you're good, or you're looking good today, or it was fun to hang out with you, then our body's like just exploding and we want to show ourselves and it's reinforcing our confidence. So the more dopamine sources you have around you, the more confident you are outside of the game, but that translates into the game too. Mm -hmm. So that is super important 
to be aware about it and to control it and to make sure that um, that confidence grows along with the, the sources of dopamine you have yeah. around yourself. I love, I love, um, so before I went to med school, my background was in um, neuroscience and specifically neuroendocrinology. And I love dopamine because it's, it's our source of reward, right? It's, it's that really active in our insular cortex. And it, it, it's, if you get a reward, it's, it's that high. It's, you know, it's the reason people have gambling problems is because, because the, because of the dopamine feedback. Poker players. <laughs> yeah, poker players. And that's the reason, and that's the reason why I think gaming can be so, you know, rewarding is because there is a risk, right? Am I gonna am I gonna not win this game? Am I gonna win this game? There's the risk, and then you get that dopamine high. But you know, after time, any hormone that if you're flooded with it is gonna get desensitized, and because there's less of a risk and there's so much of it, you there get less of a reward. So having other aspects are so important, like you're talking about diversifying yeah, you your dopamine sources. Yeah, you can't eat the same pizza for two years. No, you or cannot. Like for, for a month. No. It, it, it's easy as that. But if you get other foods as well, that's still favorite pizza will stay as, you know, your your best one. So Yes, I love it. I love that. it. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, so your Twitter handle has been below you this whole time, so people know where to find you on Twitter. But is there any other things you want to call attention to? Any any things you want to talk about? The floor is yours. Uh, I mean, the only thing I want to kind of uh, jump in, especially on the players that are starting their careers, is that remember, the guys, that you have one shot and make sure that you use it. And there are people around you that are willing to help you, not to kind of prevent you from succeeding. So trust them. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Trust your coach. Trust the person who is literally paid to make you play better. Yeah, that yeah. is so true. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the same boat. We're right. on the same boat. Right, right. Uh, well, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so incredibly much for being here, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and have a fantastic week, too. All right, y'all. Zyreth wants you to diversify your sources of dopamine. And what we mean is you have to have different outlets. You have to have different sources of satisfaction because if you are so focused on League of Legends and you're only playing League of Legends and you're playing League of Legends 12, 14, 15, 16 hours a day, you are going to get burnt out. You're not going to enjoy it as much. We saw it so much with the competitive Fortnite scene. So much of the competitive Fortnite scene about a year and a half ago when everything just went kaput. So donut, donut, do not fall to the same fate as those players. What happened to Tifu? What happened to all of those other players who I can't think of right now? Uh, you know, lo longevity of esports is really important because we all love this so much. We all love playing video games so much. And when you finally get a career in video gaming, it's amazing. And you want to throw your entire weight and effort into it. And you're so motivated. But if you're not thinking smartly, if you're not thinking intelligently, you're going to get burned out. It happens to everyone if they're not training and working efficiently. So keep your passion your career and don't turn your passion into your job right turn into your career that's all we've got for your sh our show today this has been episode 10 of PogRx, and i am your host gamer doc if you want more go check out those last episodes and make sure to give me a follow on twitter gamerdoc underscore have a happy and a healthy week Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this show. For more information, follow GamerDoc on Twitter at GamerDoc underscore. And please remember, nothing in this video is medical advice. Yes, I am a doctor. And yes, you may need help. 
But this is the internet, and this is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Thank you, and have a very nice day.